Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, ho, 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 and welcome to my Christmas time capsule, part two. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is part two of our special collection of people who've been guests on our podcast, My Time Capsule, over the past year, very kindly taking the time to come back on and tell us something they love or loathe about Christmas present or Christmas past. We'll leave Christmas yet to come to Charles Dickens. It's just a little potpourri of Christmas memories, smelling of spice and mulled wine and probably stale Brussels sprouts, that we hope will get you in the mood or feed your own bar humbugness. And our first guest is someone who hasn't actually been on my time capsule yet, but will be with us for a full interview in the new year. This actor has been ever-present on our TV screen since the early 1990s, from Goodness Gracious Me and the Kumars at number 42, to the brilliant drama Unforgotten, with a host of films and a comic relief number one hit in between. What better way could there be to start this Christmas special than with the wonderful Sanjeev Bhaskar? Sanjeev, what is it about Christmas that you treasure? Um, the thing that I'd like to put into a Christmas time capsule mm-hmm. are Christmas dinner made by an Asian family. Oh, wow. What's that? Tell me about it. Well, uh, my mum's vegetarian. She's always been vegetarian. So, you know, traditionally, uh, unsurprisingly, you know, we found English, in inverted commas, food a bit bland, a <laughs> little bit bland. But my dad, in the way that immigrants do, and wanting to fit in, said we must have Christmas dinner. So we tried turkey a couple of times and none of us could handle that. We kind of, it was too dry. We did it badly. And so we went for chicken. So chicken was our kind of like, you know, Christmas boyd. And it, I mean, it is effectively a big fancy Sunday roast, which which is comfort food for me anyway. Yeah. So I was really happy with that. But also we then needed to spice things up a bit. 
So we would, you know, the, the chicken would get a kind of turmeric and garam masala rub. The potatoes would be done with cumin and stuff like that. We'd have a cauliflower cheese, which would have curry leaves in it and stuff like that. It was fantastic. I mean, it was mm. a proper sort of joining together of two traditions. And, you know, and through that, something new was created. And, you know, now it's not weird at all to have chicken that's slightly spiced or, you know, potatoes that are roasted in the, you know, with garlic and rosemary and, and everything else. At that time, it wasn't. I mean, when I was a kid, it was just your plain, that's roasted, that's boiled, and that's grilled, and that's it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a bit of salt and white pepper if you were lucky. Mm. So the fact that, you know, that they pushed the boat out with that sort of stuff, I think that's the thing that I would put in there. Because it's. I think it's... It's accessible, but it's sort of unique. Oh, it sounds gorgeous. Do you know what? I'm really tempted. I'm really tempted to tell my wife and say, should we just spice it up a bit? And, and I hope she doesn't misinterpret she's, me. You know? Well, it's an all-purpose phrase, I think. Uh, <laughs> but also, she's a scientist, so she yeah. would appreciate the science of it. Yeah, she's an experimenter. That's what I love about her. <laughs> oh, fantastic. OK, Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Sanjeev Bhaskar. Now, for some people, it's Christmas time, mistletoe and wine and whinge and moan. But not my next guest. The stand-up comedian, musician and knitting talent extraordinaire, Izzy Sati, who joined me for a Christmas chat despite her life being like EasyJet before COVID. Completely up in the air. Hello, hello. Hello. Sorry, we've had a COVID. We we all had to get PCR tests yesterday and they've come back negative, but then it's Christmas. My son, the other day, he woke up feeling not great and then uh, his children woke up and said, I feel sick. Yeah. So they rang and they booked a PCR test. They went outside, the car wouldn't start. Oh, God. Clearly something wrong with it. Oh, God. So he then drove it to a garage. They have a second car because his wife also works. So they got in that. They drove to the PCR test. On the way there, the people rang them and said, sorry, it's been changed. The time's been changed. Oh, my God. So they went home again. Then they said, no, it's now. So they got in the car and went again. They got there. They had the PCR test. Started the car. It wouldn't start. The battery had gone dead. And so the people had in their gear gave them a bump start down the hill. Halfway home, their son said, I feel sick. So they had to stop the car, but he had to keep revving the engine because he didn't know if it was going to start again. Oh, my God. Got out. His son wasn't sick. Thought, okay, good. Got back in the car, got home. As they arrived home, his son vomited all over them, the car, himself, (laughs) everything. Oh, my God. My son jumped out of the car and slid (laughs) on a huge pile of dog shit, (laughs) which which he sat in. (laughs) He said at that point, he thought, I'm turning into a Sean Locke anecdote. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh my God, God, that's amazing. Yeah. That is great. God, that's so funny. That's your five minutes, isn't it? Yeah, that'd be an Edinburgh show. (laughs) (laughs) Just after... Oh, my God, I know. Wow, wow. Oh, wow, that's brilliant. So there we are. The things that life throws up just before Christmas. When you think, please, no, no, no. (gasps) I know. Right. Right. We're going to talk about something, anything from your past or from the present even, but maybe not Christmas future. We're not going to go completely Dickens on it, that you would like to put into a time capsule, a Christmas time capsule. 
This is a bit of a strange one. It involves something that is part of most people's Christmases, I think. Mm. Every year at Christmas time when I was growing up, we used this crockery that had been handed down, I suppose, from generation to generation. I don't know where it came from. It's like one of those things that um, is always just there in mm. the house and you don't question it. But it, we only used it at Christmas. So there were these kind of quite posh china pots with lids that we'd put all the veg in at Christmas dinner and we'd eat off these certain plates and even use different knives and forks. And then they all went away. I don't even know where they went all year round. <laughs> and um, one year... Mum had cooked all the veg, Dad had done the turkey, and then Dad lifted the lid off one of these pots in order to put the carrots in or whatever. Mm. And there was a tiny shriveled up Brussels sprout kind of <laughs> nestling right in the corner of this pot. And it was actually sort of mummified. So it was like a perfect Brussels sprout, but about a quarter of the size that it should be. Um, <laughs> Dehydrated. Yes, absolutely. It's like a scientific experiment, really. And it was, you know, it sort of looked like you could possibly eat it. It might contain some nutritional benefits and sort of weird bacteria that had evolved over the year. We didn't eat it, though. Um, and so we all were like, oh, my goodness, who forgot to... Well, basically, it hadn't been cleaned, I suppose, since the year before. So that's what I'm going to put in the time. I'm going to put in one shriveled up Brussels sprout because my dad isn't with us anymore and he died on Boxing Day 2011. So it's going to be the 10 year anniversary this year. And he actually didn't like Christmas that much. So it's not like, you know, it, it's hard for anyone to lose someone anyway and be without them at Christmas. But my dad didn't love Christmas. So I don't have that thing mm. where people sometimes do, don't they, where it's hard in a different way because they're thinking oh when they were here they used to do this and this and this he just used to sit in the corner and he wanted to watch racing and he you know that was all <laughs> so um I don't have that that element to it but I do always think about him on Christmas day in a different way and so I think the Brussels sprout is quite fitting because I always remember him lifting this this lid off the pot with a real flourish and then there being this disgusting <laughs> Brussels sprout in the corner <laughs> That's lovely. I mean, and it's great that on Christmas Day you can say, instead of, you know, he would have loved this, you can, he would have hated this. Yes, absolutely, he would. He just used to think, oh, come on, I just want to, yeah, <laughs> get all this fuss over with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. very good. I do have a friend who once we took the top off of a barbecue in spring, uh, that thing where you sort of go, okay, let's have that first barbecue. Oh, we'll yes, have the first yes. barbecue. Yeah. And uh, and sitting there was a sausage. And he went, oh, my word, what a waste. And he picked it up and ate it. <gasps> Did he? I know. Yeah. We went, what are you doing? We waited for him to basically die on the spot. Was he okay? He was fine. He said, no, it's good. It's good bacteria. I really wish I could be like that. I'm so... Like cooking sausages now when I cook them in the oven, even though I know they have to, the ones that we get from Sainsbury's, it's 35 minutes, 170, I think. Yeah. And, eat, and I still check the packet each time. Is it 30 or 35 minutes? I mean, <laughs> I'm like the opposite to that guy. Yeah. I, I mean, just I just... Overcautious. Yeah. It just it needs to be more like him. I remember living with a guy I used to live with who I was at drama school with. We all lived together when we graduated. Mark Rind. Um, spelt rind, but it was rind, a bit like um, hyacinth bouquet. Everyone used to call him Mark Rind. He'd say, it's rind, it's rind. Um, a really lovely, lovely guy. Um, he'd grown up in the countryside and whenever we cooked spaghetti bolognese, he used to put a rasher of bacon in it and he would always eat a bit of raw bacon at just a, off the rasher before oh. he 
it chopped it up and put it in. And it was like a weird... And I used to say, what are you doing, Mark? He used to say, oh, it's fine. A bit like your mate. Yeah. And it was a thing. Did your friend grow up in the countryside? Or did he have that kind of thing of... I sometimes think there's that thing of, oh, you know, when we were five years old, we used to eat raw cow. It's fine, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm not sure it's anything to do with where he grew up. I just think he was a bit of a nutter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he would have been good friends with Mark Rind. They need to meet. They can sit there and just pick <laughs> things off the pavement. I love the idea of a single Brussels sprout, and particularly a reduced one. When I was a small boy and we used to be called back from playing football at the wreck, particularly for a Sunday lunch right in the middle of summer, yes. and my mum used to say, well, you can choose one thing to leave. And I always left a Brussels sprout. And for most of my adult life, and I still do it now, if I have Brussels sprouts, I always find at the end of a meal, there is one left. Oh, that's lovely. That reminds me of when people... Did you ever used to smoke? Yes. Did you used to turn over one cigarette? When I smoked in the 90s, everyone used to... It was like a lucky fag, so you'd turn one over. Oh, right. In no, the packet I never did. And put it back in. So yeah. there was always one facing upwards. So when you opened it, you could see all the filters, but one end of tobacco. That reminds me of that. And then you wouldn't smoke the lucky fag mm. until you'd bought another pack of 20 so that you'd never be without fags. What a great <laughs> motto. Um, <laughs> but it, it reminds me a bit of that. Yeah. Although I suppose you leaving the Brussels sprout, that's going to get thrown away. Unless you've got someone at the table who always wants one more Brussels sprout than they've got on their plate. That'll be my wife. <laughs> well, that's me. I love Brussels sprouts. Oh, right. So we're perfectly matched. Yes. Well, I'm not saying you and I. I'm saying my wife and I. Well, if we... Yes, well, yes. You know, and also if we all four of us ever had dinner, me and Alison, you and your wife, yeah. your wife and I would be fighting over that Brussels sprout <laughs> that you had left on your plate. But Ellis doesn't like them very much, so he could leave one as well, and then we could have one each. You could negotiate. <laughs> you could say to her, yes. um, I'll have that one, but you can have this special little one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be perfect. Oh, there we are. Okay, right, so we will put that tiny little Brussels sprout into your Christmas time capsule. And I hope you'll have a really lovely Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. You too, Mike. Oh, this is making me feel all Christmassy. I love Christmas, especially Strictly Come Dancing on Christmas Day. Oh, it's brilliant. Although, sadly, I'll never be on that. I've got two left feet. Honestly, yeah, in the summer I bought myself a pair of flip-flips. Right, moving on to our next guest, it's the lovely Rory McGrath, talking about a moment in his life that he'd like to put in a Christmas time capsule. I have a very special moment that Christmas always reminds me of, and that is we were recording a comic relief song called uh, Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. Oh, yeah. Um, it was by Mel and Kim. Not, not not this sort of pop duo, but it was Kim Wilde and Mel Smith doing Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. The obvious duo. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's quite a fun thing to do. I remember it was a very long day. You've done it, Mike. You've, you've been there when yeah. they play the track over and over again, right? We'll just do this. Like, da, 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 and you think, oh, God, I would have to. So, you know, you go off the song. But um, I was playing Father Christmas. Oh. Father Christmas bursts out of a cupboard or a pantry or something playing the saxophone and that is me <laughs> not particularly convincingly i've been told by people who play the saxophone <laughs> yeah. and of course because i'm dressed as father christmas i don't look and i wonder if i could find the 
this isn't good audio, but I'll see if I no, I can't stand up because then you'll realise I haven't got any trousers on. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I come out of the not looking like myself, you know. People say, Oh, I love that Mel and Kim thing rocking out as a funny video. You say, I'm in that. No, you know, you're not, right? I've watched it over and over. It comes out every Christmas and I watch it and you're not in it. No, I am. I play Father <laughs> Christmas. I play Father Christmas. I come out of the pantry playing a saxophone. And people then go back and watch it and say, Oh, yeah, anybody could say that's them, can't they? They're dressed as Father Christmas, <laughs> and they have the full beard and everything. But as I say, to drag one perfect memory from that, the in between takes, I was lying on the bed with Kimwell, fully dressed, you know. Mm. You know, I, I when I big white false beard on you, you can't do much. Why she was wearing that, I don't know. But um, <laughs> when we listen to this track, and if you listen to it, uh, it goes back and around the Christmas tree, back and around. And I was thinking to myself, if you don't listen very carefully, they're not saying rocking around. They're saying back and around, <laughs> and it sounds. And I said to her, Kim, I. Was, it's probably a bit late in the day to, to say this as the track is recorded, but it does sound like you're singing fucking around the Christmas tree. Said, <laughs> stop it. So when the track came up again, she said to me, hang on, listen, looking around. And once that's in your head, that's yeah. all you can hear. She went, oh my God, you're right. We, we can't put that out. And I said to Mel, do you realise it sounds like fucking around the Christmas tree? Mel said, what are you talking about? What are you talking Let's have a listen. He goes, looking around. And he says, yeah, you're right. It does, it does sound like um, fucking in the Christmas tree, but who gives a fuck anyway? Let's leave it. <laughs> so that was that. And that's actually, I hadn't remembered that. So you prompted me to remember that. And it was filmed in um, November, just after the great storms of 87. Was it 87? Oh, yeah. And I shared a car there with Griffiths Jones, who was in it also. He's in most things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes. Even things he's not in, he's in. <laughs> There's no travel program on television which doesn't involve Griff, even if he's not, you know, it's somebody in New Zealand filming a documentary. But in the background of the shot, you can see Griff filming another documentary <laughs> about New Zealand. Yes, but I, I, I remember driving through Hyde Park and Griff was going, what's what, 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 trees everywhere. There's trees. Everywhere you look in Hyde Park, it's fucking trees. They're telling us we've got all lost all our trees in a storm. I can't move for trees in Hyde Park. That's what I remember <laughs> about the trip there. So there was that, lying on the bed with Kim Wilde, and the fact that my part, Father Christmas, was a tiny, tiny part. It took, you know, it took about, uh, I don't know, about two minutes worth of film, you know, Duffy's retakes. Yeah. Most of the day was spent watching Griffin Mel do their bits. And so I had a lot of time with Kim, mm. and I have a lot of time for her. If she's listening. Well, you may remember that I'm in that video. No, you're not. And yeah, I'm the penguin. Are you really? No, but nobody could ever say that I wasn't, could they? <laughs> How embarrassing. I'm talking to Mike Stever, who's with me all day. I Actually, was on the other side of Kim. I remember saying to Rory, can I snuggle up to you? This penguin keeps, you know, waggling, <laughs> waggling flipper in my direction. He says he's protecting his egg. <laughs> I've heard that excuse before. A strange place to keep an egg, I tell you. <laughs> Katie Brand was my guest on My Time Capsule in episode 102. And here she is talking about a Christmas that you may well recognise. What did you love about Christmas when you were little, Katie? Oh, what I used to love about Christmas when I was a child was... Um, Going to my grandparents' house, all the family would be there. It would be a big gathering. And it was like a sort of constant 
timetable of entertainment and eating. <laughs> and we would have balloon football, which was also always a sort of extremely messy, semi-violent affair <laughs> involving everybody batting a balloon around at, at a sort of ceiling height for as long as possible, jumping on furniture, falling off, crashing through coffee tables. <laughs> and then that would be finished. And then we'd have mince pies and then we'd have to go for a walk and then it'd be lunch and then it'd be presents. And then, so I just loved that energy about it. Mm. And also making a Christmas pudding uh, much earlier in the year with my grandma stirring yeah. it all in and hearing it all kind of squeak and splutter a bit as you stirred it. That was always a nice childhood memory. Mm. And do you still love Christmas now? I think what I love most about Christmas now is just that sense that you're turning the world off for a couple of days. Mm. You've done all your preparation, you've got all your food in, you've done all the presents, you've bought them, you've done all your prep, and then for two or three days, you can just vanish from the rest of life yeah. and uh, just be together in a sort of little group with all your twinkly fairy lights and that sense of a kind of secret little Christmas bubble mm. um, where the usual rules don't apply. I always like that a lot. That always, um, I find that quite restorative. Um, and then I love like on, on New Year's Day, taking all of it down. Um, I can be a bit militant about that. Perhaps I won't do that this year. <laughs> um, but that sort of sense of starting afresh. You've had your Christmas and then you're getting on with the new year so I, I like the whole period um, I've got nice memories and I'm making more nice memories now I think yeah lovely well I hope you have a lovely Christmas in your bubble <laughs> okay my next guest is the producer and writer Paul Mayhew Archer who famously produced the classic comedy Old Harry's Game with Andy Hamilton on BBC Radio 4. He wrote and script-edited Mrs Brown's Boys for many years and was the writer of many of our favourite episodes of the sitcom The Vicar of Dibley. Paul is also a long-term sufferer with Parkinson's and he's one of the sweetest and funniest men I know. Paul! Hello! Hello, my lovely man. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. That's good to hear. I wonder how things are going. They're going all right, really. I mean, the most extraordinary um, things happened to me. Um, last week, I wrote a poem for the Cure Parkinson's Trust charity, which various people um, helped deliver. Rory Kethlin Jones did a bit, and um, Jeremy Paxman turned me down. <laughs> and then I, um, Julie and I go to special little carol services run by the Archbishop of Canterbury now. Oh. And so I was invited to speak at that. Oh, how lovely. And then I, I was due to leave there and go across London to do something at the um, Parkinson's UK Christmas Carol service, uh, except that the car was supposed to take me to the St Pancras New Church. And yes. unfortunately it dropped me at the St Pancras Old Church. How far is that from the New Church? Well, I had no idea. <laughs> I, I, I ended up running around for four It was a good exercise, but I never made the concerts. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was once supposed to read Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol at the Royal Albert Hall, oh accompanied by a full orchestra. Ah. And I had a sort of a, a reaction to something. I don't know. My face swelled up. I looked like a Muppet. So I went to hospital and they gave me an injection, which uh, I fainted when I saw the needle. <laughs> and they thought I'd got into anaphylactic shock. Oh, God. <laughs> It sounds like a script from The Vicar of Dibley. God almighty, and what happened? Well, unfortunately, my face didn't go down in time. 
That year, I didn't get to read A Christmas Carol at the Royal Albert Hall. There we are. So I'm going to talk to you about some Christmas things. Yes. I mean, for you, Christmas for years and years was, have we got the Vicar of Dibley done? Yes, it was lots of Dibleys and then some Mrs. Brown's boys. Yes, I've I've done more than my fair share of Christmas episodes. Mm. Quite a terrifying thing because the pressure is really on you to, to deliver something. Because you know that, you know, millions of people are expecting to have a bit of a laugh. Yeah. How many funny things are there that happen at Christmas? Well, actually, quite a few funny things seem to happen at Christmas. Last year, everybody said that COVID ruined Christmas because it kept families apart. Normally, what ruins Christmas is when families get together, it seems to me. <laughs> it's true. The thing for me was always the thank you letters. Yes. I just I used to try and make my writing as big as possible. My mum would stand over me while I did the, the thank you letter. God. Oh. And I used to think, you know, I didn't really want these presents. They were usually rubbish presents um, for the wrong age. It was forgotten how old you actually were. Yes. And then, and then you'd have to write a letter thanking them. And it, oh, the terrible uh, thing is if you get the labels mixed up and you have no idea which present is which, and then you try and flummox your way through this, uh, thank you so much for the lovely present. It was most yes. useful. <laughs> <laughs> Because I can't remember anything that's happened, really. It's been a long time, though, hasn't it, Paul? It's been a long journey that you've been on. Ten years. It's a ten-year anniversary now, isn't it? I still look back on on the days when we did Old Harry's Game Ah. with just such enormous fondness. But I think for many of us, the first indications that you had Parkinson's was around that time, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Mm. You always did this thing when when we did retakes where you would run down from the box and you would feign a trip and stumble across the stage and then recover. And you did that for years. And then one year you came down and you tripped and you did trip and you went flying into the speakers. I think I was quite glad that I went into the speakers because I narrowly avoided going into Felicity Montague. That was that was a bit of a shock. And there was another down at the, uh, the Paris studio did this new quiz called Treasure Trail. Hmm. And I think it was a quiz we made every possible mistake that you can make with a quiz for starters. <laughs> we decided that we were going to have all the contestants from the audience. Um, it was a half-hour pilot, and it, after an hour and ten minutes, I ran out of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I got some copies of scripts from Top of the Form, which I was producing at the time. And I took them down to the presenter and I said, ask them the ones for the 11 year old. (laughs) (laughs) After an hour and 20 minutes, we got down to our last contestant, who was this particularly morose Methodist from Chingford. And the question was John, Paul, and Ringo were three of the Beatles. Who was the fourth? (gasps) And he said, I don't know anything about the Beatles. And I bought a prize. (laughs) 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 But it's going to be a waste of money if we don't do it. So I I said over the talk back to the presenter, I said, tell him the answer. (laughs) 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 And so the presenter said, yeah, just say George and we'll say you've won. And the bloke said, oh, so it's all a fiddle, is it? (laughs) (laughs) And then he won the prize. And the audience booed. <laughs> and the continuity announcer who'd come down, oh, dear, she said, uh, she said at the end, I'm sure it'll be fine in the edit. And it wasn't. 
It was not. I tried editing it that week, and after one session, I chucked the tape into a bin, and it was never seen again. <laughs> and you thought, that's the end of my career? That's the end of my career. No, no, no more. God, it was absolutely awful. Well, at least I get a chance to say thank you for all those wonderful Christmas episodes that you did go on to write. Thank you very much indeed, yes. Well, Merry Christmas, Paul. Merry Christmas to you too. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Paul Mayhew Archer. What a gorgeous man. (laughs) Although, basically, I like everybody I've had on my time capsule. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm easily pleased. But then who wouldn't be when you've got guests like our next guest? Writer and star of The Fast Show, Charlie Higson. Manage participants. Manage participants. Participants to Charlie Higson. More. And out. Record local files. Is that working? Yeah. Bloody hell. Can't tell you. It's a year and a half I've been doing this, Charlie, and you just taught me something new. (laughs) Well, it appears to be recording. The little red light is flashing. That's fantastic. I don't know what then happens. How it, no, neither do I. Need it, we have no idea how we get it. It'll exist somewhere, and Dominic Cummings can leak it when he <laughs> when he feels the mood. <laughs> <laughs> that would be lovely. What chaos the world is in. If this whole thing is is some kind of government conspiracy, they can't even manage a fucking party at Downing Street without cocking it up. You think, how are they going to organise a mass international conspiracy like this? It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's an amazing idea, isn't it? They've obviously had an agreement with everybody who works in any sort of medical sphere. Yeah, and they will have had to get every single world leader to agree to this. But they couldn't get the Brazilian bloke, and he's the one who kept saying, it's not real, it's not real, and they, they're now trying to make him look like a lunatic. <laughs> Shut up. Stop telling everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't it be extraordinary? What would be the reason, do you think? Well, that's where all conspiracy theories break down. As far as I can see, this one is they have to invent this world pandemic so that they can invent these vaccines, which are injecting us with something that we don't know about. But again, you'd have to get every single health official and scientist in the world. You'd have to buy them all off. Yeah. But none of them's going to say, aha, let me show you what's really in these injections. (laughs) By the way, I wrote the Bond film. It's nanobots. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Anyway, well, let's talk about the baby Jesus. Yes. Cheeses of Nazareth. (laughs) Which one's your favourite cheese? A nice nutty cheddar. (laughs) I think that's what the kings brought, really. Yes. They bought cheese and nibbles. <laughs> they weren't having a party. It wasn't a party. No, no. They were merely visiting the Son of God for perfectly valid reasons. <laughs> All right, Charlie, so uh, let's talk about something, either from your own past or something that you uh, love or hate about Christmas. Well, I fall into the camp of people who love Christmas, mm. and I don't know whether that's because my family hasn't, imploded or exploded. I don't have to do that thing on Christmas Day where you've got to visit three different families Mm. because it's all gone horribly wrong somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, I used to love family Christmases as a boy. Uh, I had three brothers and we'd have just traditional boring family Christmases, which I tried to recreate with my own three boys. Yeah. And we've never had any uh, desperate disasters. So, you know, I'd put the whole of Christmas into the special capsule if there's room. Oh, plenty of room. (laughs) <laughs> the thing about those Christmases when you go back and analyse them in a way was that 
they weren't anything particularly special, were they? It was a day you led up to, and then you got up, there was a tree, it had presents underneath it. You opened them, play with them for a bit, then you sort of got ready to have a lunch. Then you had lunch, and then you sort of watched the telly. Yes, it is It is weird, isn't it? Because I remember so vividly from childhood, not wanting to go to bed, not being able to go to sleep. I wait for Christmas morning. But as you say, probably 90% of the presents you get a little bit disappointing. <laughs> yeah. um, when you're a kid, your parents didn't quite buy you the right toy. No. You're into the clangers, so your mother knitted one, well, adapted a sock, <laughs> stuffed a sock. <laughs> And put some eyes on it and you'd say, oh, great, mum. Yeah, that's that's better than a shop-bought clanger. Uh, <laughs> um, and, you know, you'd you'd want a certain car or a certain uniform for your action man and it, you'd get a different one mm. and, and have to be pleased. But, yeah, I don't know what it is. There is something magical about opening something that's wrapped. It's the same excitement we get when we get the brown envelope from Amazon. Yes. Um, even though we know we've ordered it ourselves, <laughs> there's still that idea of like, oh, what's this? Oh, you open it up and say, God, I forgot I ordered that. I was completely pissed at the time. <laughs> what on earth is it? So it's the anticipation of Christmas is, as a kid was always fabulous. And as you say, the, what you actually did on Christmas, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it ties into some deep atavistic thing of the, you know, it is the, the, the you know, the midwinter feast where suddenly you can celebrate and eat too much and, and you get gifts. And I mean, what I love about Christmas, really, particularly being self-employed, I think, mm. but I'm sure it's the same as if you're in an old job. It is that idea that it stops and now it's Christmas and you can't do anything else. Yes. Because, you know, if, if you're self-employed, there's always that thing, oh, I should be doing this or oh, I could be working on that. But then you hit Christmas Eve and it's, it, it's that it's stopped. I can't do anymore. Mm. The house is full of food. We've got all this booze in I got all the presents everything is ready but i think the thing i love most about it is that sense of things stopping and and you can say right now i can just eat and drink and be with the family christmas and boxing day but i almost prefer boxing day because <laughs> you've done all that because you've done all the cooking and the hard work and you can just eat leftovers yeah and lie on the floor eating <laughs> bits of turkey and chocolates and 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 drinking as soon as you get up in the morning yeah Maybe that's why we look back on Christmases so fondly, is that it's the time when you did have your family. You actually had your parents, and they had nothing else to do apart from spend Christmas with you. Mm. I think maybe that's why they're precious. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. You know, you play games together and do things together and talk together. Yeah, I mean, my father did work hard. He, he commuted, so he was out early morning and back late at night. So certainly it was a time to see more of him and, to, and, and, as you say, to do things with him and to do things together. So, mm. But, I mean, Paul Whitehouse, where I hates Christmas. <laughs> really, you surprised me. <laughs> He's a total, he signed up to the Bar Humbug School of Christmas. Mm. Actually, it's funny, if you if you read uh, Christmas Carol now, yeah, the early pages where Scrooge is moaning about Christmas, it's actually quite valid, most of what he says, <laughs> because it is about, oh, Christmas has just become a time for people to spend too much money and buy all this crap and, and, and pretend they all love each other. Mm. Um, and we're supposed to help each other on Christmas, but what about the rest of the time? Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, and I think it's about time we had the revisionist Christmas carol where Scrooge was right all along, but he was stitched up by Charles Dickens. <laughs> well, we're rambling into the... Uh, let's open a bottle of port. Yes, sorry. I still got three bottles of port from last Christmas because <laughs> it's the only day of the year you actually drink this stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, perhaps that's what we should do. We should both go and get a bottle of port, sit here and drink it and talk rubbish for the rest of the day. That sounds ideal. Well, again, that's that's the other joy of Christmas. I always regret after every Christmas thinking I should have spent more time in the pub. <laughs> Twinkly, candles, lights up, Christmas trees, people in hats and scarves, <sighs> drink a nice pint of bitter. I've hardly ever done a Christmas pub because I've always had, it seems all my life, I've had children around me. So, you you know, you sort of go, well, I can't indulge myself. I know. Well, what, I'm, what we managed to do is that um, many years ago, I was talking to Bob Mortimer and he was bemoaning because he, he had young kids at the time. Mm. He was bemoaning those days where you'd go to the pub at lunchtime when it was bright daylight mm. and you'd stay in and you'd drink until it got dark and then you'd come out and it would be night. And he said, there's something magical about that. And he said, oh, I just don't do it anymore. And I said, all right, I'm going to try and arrange this. We can do this. Mm. So for many years at Christmas, we've got together at the Dog and Duck, meet up at lunchtime, as many people as could make. It's a kind of drop-in, drop-out type of thing. Yeah. And yes, we've managed to do it so you drink through until about seven or eight at night. Um, as long as, yeah, you do have to clear it with the, the wife and family. <laughs> um, and it was it's really lovely. And there are still in London some of those twinkly old Victorian pubs left. Yeah. But the one person who's never made it to any of these is Bob Mortimer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Charlie, I'm going to leave you in peace. But um, thank you very much. Well, it's a great speech again, Mike, and have a great Christmas. And you. If that recording comes up on your computer, then send it to me. But uh, Well, let's see. Stop recording. End. Stop. The recorded file will be converted to MP4 when the meeting ends. Right. Where is it saying? But where? Well, let me look into it. Right, lots of love. Yes. Enjoy the dog and duck. I'll send you an invite. If oh, here. yeah, brilliant. There you are. A little insight into the chaos that recording a podcast over the internet often is, especially with someone as useless as me. Still, Christmas is coming, as are some ads. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to our special Christmas party that doesn't break any of the rules. Right, my next guest is a person that none of you will have heard of. Well, maybe his mum. But I do occasionally like to put people on my time capsule that aren't famous. Paul Burke works in advertising, and he's won more awards than anybody else in the industry. Anyway, here he is now. He's a lovely bloke. 
Paul Burke. Hello. Now, I know that you're from the world of advertising, so obviously Christmas to you is is June, isn't it? Yes, uh, those um, Christmas commercials that you see with all the snow, yeah, they are snow machines in June. And <laughs> things like John Lewis, I think they start the new one pretty much as soon as they finish the old one. But, yeah, Christmas ads have become a bit, uh, bit of a cliche now. But yeah. I always liked the Woolworths one, where you'd, <laughs> you'd have your proper celebs. <laughs> you'd proper have Joe celebs. Brown. You'd have Dennis Waterman, <laughs> you'd, you know, in a Santa hat. And they were really, really naff. But, actually, they told you an awful lot of stuff. And you'd go, I'd like some Brute 33, yeah, <laughs> in the gift. <laughs> or some soap and a rope. You don't get soap and a rope anymore because it, it was, think about it, it's a lethal weapon. Clout someone one. <laughs> You'd kill them, wouldn't you? <laughs> but Christmas, I um, I adore. I just love every part of it. Um, I always think what's not to love. Mm. You behave in a way that you don't normally... Well, not don't normally behave, but you're nicer. You have parties, you give gifts, you receive gifts, you do things for charity. I mean, I'm not a big drinker, but I used to love going to the pub on Christmas Eve. And I remember, <laughs> I remember one year... Uh, my mate Pete was a milkman. And I didn't realise this until he said, or he slurred, that milkmen would do their... I mean, it's such an anachronism now, isn't it, milkman? <laughs> but <laughs> milkmen used to do their rounds, their Christmas Day rounds, at one o'clock in the morning so that they could go home and have the whole day with their families. Really? Yeah. So Pete, of course, is in the pub and we virtually carried him out at midnight and he goes, ah, <laughs> oh, got to go and do me round now. We said, What? And so we drove him down to the depot, got him out. The other milkman were drunk as well, and I think, <laughs> but not quite as drunk as he was. He can barely stand up. There's no way he can be in charge of a milk float. And, and mm. I'm always a designated driver because I didn't drink very much. So that night I was the designated driver of the milk float. Oh, it's just one of those things that you always want to have a go at, even though it's it does five miles an hour. It's like a little yeah. dodging car. So there's myself and a couple of other mates on the milk float, with Pete just sort of, just sort of lying in the front. We sort of knew the streets he went up, but we had no idea who had how many pints and who had yoghurt and who had cream. <laughs> and in the end, all we were doing is just dumping random selections. <laughs> of, of, and we had Christmas tunes on this sort of, you know, cassette player, Ghetto Blast, I remember that. And we had the 1971 <laughs> Christmas number one, which, of course, was Ernie... <laughs> The fastest milkman in the West. And in the end, more drunks joined us on the milk flight. And, and you know, and, and we just, oh, God, we didn't get back till about four o'clock in the morning. I've no idea who got what. But all I know is when Pete turned up on Boxing Day, <laughs> uh, he wasn't a milkman after that. <laughs> OK, from a man that hardly anybody's heard of to a man that nearly everybody's heard of, the wonderful Les Dennis. Well, I absolutely adore Christmas and I love to see my kids really excited about Christmas. I have two uh, smaller kids. I have a grown-up son, Philip, who's 41, mm -hmm. and I have Eleanor and Tom, who are 13 and 10, <laughs> and they still act as if they believe. They haven't said anybody has told them otherwise. They are really excited mm -hmm. when Christmas comes. And on a Christmas Eve, they get a beautiful stocking, um, one of those lovely red Santa-like stockings. Yeah. With, it looks like Santa's boot with the with the white trim at the top. And we then fill that, um, or rather Santa fills that for them mm -hmm. during the night. But uh, when I was a kid, 
and this is what I want to put into the time capsule. We had my dad's socks. <laughs> now, my brother and I would, on Christmas Eve, at the bottom of my bed, have one of my dad's socks. And we're talking like late 50s. We lived in a, a prefab in Speak in Liverpool, on the outskirts of Liverpool for the overspill after the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, nowadays men have lovely cotton ankle socks. <laughs> yes. My dad in the 50s had knee-length thick woolen socks. <laughs> so we would be given one of those, put at the bottom of our bed, and that was our Christmas stocking. Mm-hmm. And we were so excited going to bed like all kids can't sleep, you know, you're, you're trying your best to get off in you. My brother's going like, what if he comes while we're still awake? What if he comes in? You know, we, we might get into trouble. Don't, just go to sleep, Ken, go to sleep. And eventually he'd go to sleep and then I would go to sleep. But then I'd wake up and think, oh, he's probably been, he's probably been and like searched to the bottom of the bed. And my dad's sock was still there, empty. So it probably was about 11 p.m. Or maybe even nine o'clock at night. Or nine o'clock, yeah, maybe. (laughs) And then I think usually it was about four o'clock. I'd go to the bottom of the bed and it would be bulging. Both Mm. of the the socks, absolutely bulging. And, you know, when I think back, it was bulging with things that kids nowadays would go, what? Is that (laughs) what you've got on your stocking? There would be a red apple, (laughs) always a red apple, a tangerine, some nuts. A bloody Father Christmas. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, mate. Maybe if we were lucky, a little, you know, dinky toy or something, mm-hmm. or a matchbox little car. And usually the, the thing that was most exciting for me was the pennies. There'd be two or three of, and I'm talking the old pound shillings and pence, that big penny, and it would be shiny, it would be new. My dad would kind of go, all oh, right, there's a there's a nice shiny new one. Uh-huh. We'll keep that for the Christmas stockings. I can remember a penny that had 1960. I'm just <laughs> like, so excited. I wish I'd kept that, <laughs> that uh-huh. penny. I must have spent it as soon as the shops were open on Boxing Day. Mm. But um, that was so exciting. I'd wake Kent and say, he's been, he's been. And then we'd run into my sister Mandy, who was only about four then, and tell her, and then get my mum and dad up. The prefabs were kind of bungalow. They were at one story. Uh, and we'd go in and find whatever our present was mm-hmm. um, that year. But there were always, as well, quality street. Now, one year, though, uh, there were no green triangles in anybody's stocking. And this might have been a mystery, um, but <laughs> I have been reminded by my sister what happened that year. Yeah. My sister Margaret, my elder sister, uh, one Saturday, my mum had gone out to do some last-minute Christmas shopping. Uh, Marg, our eldest, was in charge, and she found the tin of Quality Street on top of the wardrobe. Oh. And she got it down. <laughs> she got the tin down and surgically removed the sellotape from the tin top, <laughs> opened the tin, telling us, when your mum, as she used to say, when your mum gets home, don't tell her I've done this. <laughs> and she would take, because she loved the green triangles. Mm-hmm. She'd take all the green triangles <laughs> out of that tin. She gave me and Ken a triangle each mm-hmm. and said that, you know, you don't say anything. She also found our jack-in-the-boxes. Jack, do you remember the j- yeah. jack-in-the-box? She found those and got them out for us and showed what we were getting. <laughs> it came up um, out of the jack-in-the-box and, and sang, Pop Goes the Weasel, Pop Goes the Weasel. <laughs> and so she put them all away. 
And then when my mum came in, my brother Ken popped up from behind the sofa and went, Pop goes the weasel, <laughs> and gave it away. And my sister got into such trouble. Oh, I bet. So that's a Christmas I will always remember. And um, my dad's socks are definitely going into my Christmas time capsule. Lovely. Did you have a socking? Did Absolutely you? the same thing, yes. Very much my father's socks. So those socks could really stretch, couldn't they? They could, yeah. <laughs> they really could. But it was exciting, wasn't it? Yeah, it you was. Know? It was. We would have the gold coin, the chocolate wrapped in foil. So yeah, we would have a yeah, couple of yeah. those in there. But little right, things like right. that, how exciting they are. On you know, Well, of course, it's four o'clock in the morning. You're almost delirious yeah. already. <laughs> <Yeah. at> the- <laughs> there, there would be the saucer with a half-eaten mince pie yeah. and a, a glass of scotch that had certainly been um, taken and, and um, a half-eaten carrot yes and I remember you know as an adult then um, being at a hotel once and seeing that that trick of taking a welly boot and putting flour around oh very good uh, yeah. leading up to the tree oh great and it looked like Santa had walked in in the snow and then walked out again. I know, and we never questioned the fact that there wasn't any snow outside. No, no, (laughs) and that it was flour. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember being woken with an elbow in the ribs at about three o'clock in the morning one Christmas Eve, my wife shouting, the carrot! (laughs) 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 What? You know, there there are certain presents I remember, but one... Particularly, I remember as I must have been getting a bit older, I was probably about 13. Mm-hmm. I got a reel to reel tape recorder, you wow. know, the old fashioned. Um, because my mum knew that I was into entertaining, and I remember I taped people on the wall, variety performers, probably Ken Dodd and people like that. Yeah. On the first Christmas morning that I got it, I thought, okay, right, I'm going to see how this works. And I put it on, and somebody had already used it. And I realized when I heard this. <laughs> <laughs> that my mum had decided on Christmas Eve to tape my dad snoring <laughs> to show him how badly his snoring was. Oh, brilliant. So there it was, you know, with my dad snoring away on Christmas morning. Oh, I bet you wish you had that recording now. I wish I had that recording so much, yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure my wife could record me and, sh- and we could say it was my dad because <laughs> I'm just as bad. Yeah, <laughs> how lovely. What fabulous Christmas memories. Mm. That's made me feel very Christmassy. Thanks, Liz. Thank you. Les Dennis, who, let's be honest, would cheer anybody up. Right, next we have another of my past guests, the writer John O'Farrell, who I was very lucky to catch because he just got back from a trip to New York where he was at the opening of Mrs Doubtfire, the musical, which he wrote the book for. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Yep, well, it didn't turn out to be the greatest trip. Hello, Mike, how are you? I'm very good. I'm glad to see you looking well. Well, glad to hear you say that. Bit of a nightmare, wasn't it? Oh, God, yeah. So, yeah, I had such a great time. Opening night, and then before you fly home, you have to order these PCR things. So, get home. Yeah. There it is. Take it. Didn't think anything more about it. Next morning, the email comes through. You have tested positive. It's like, what? Oh, my God. But I feel fine. A few hours later, oh, oh, I don't feel fine. (laughs) So, I got the result before I knew I was ill. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. So, in fact, it, it worked then. It did work. And then they closed the musical. Uh, it took a few days for the cast to catch it as well, but they've all caught up. And now we've got um, both the Sunday's uh, performances are closed, and I think 
today and tomorrow might be the same we'll see oh no but yeah it's an expensive business you were thinking yes here we go i have a show on broadway show on broadway and i can sit at home and just you know watch the money roll in yeah 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 step aside lloyd webber thank you andrew <laughs> i've got this from here <laughs> oh dear but there we are I, I won't take up any more of your time so john tell me something about christmas that you really like so is this sorry do you want me to talk about stuff i'd like you can either choose something you like or you can do something that drives you mad and you want to get rid of it <laughs> okay so something that drives me a bit mad is carol singers um <laughs> now before i before i go any further on carol singers i have to tell you about my dear daughter-in-law bethany mm -hmm. who's american they don't have the word carol singers in america they're called carolers right uh so she for four or five years has watched love actually every year and when the man holds a sign saying say it's carol singers she yeah. thinks it's their friend carol singers <laughs> so <laughs> he's holding a sign saying say it's carol singers it's carol singers Just give him a quid and tell him to piss off and my <laughs> bethany was thinking that's very rude about their friend carol <laughs> So uh, we, she suddenly realised this. So we take the mickey out of her all the time. And any time, you know, you have to give a name in a restaurant. Who is it? It's Carol Singers. And if you ever get any Carol Singers at the door, you can say that it's Carol Singers at the door for you. Yeah, yeah, it's Carol. Carol's here for you. But I used to have to do um, Carol singing for Oxfam as a kid. And we go pub to pub. And my dad would get so sloshed because he'd have a pint in every pub. And um, we were supposed <laughs> to be raising money for Oxfam. And it was like, Hosanna, Renix, Chelsea. <laughs> so it got less and less refined. So my mum trying to do this good work. My dad leaning out the back window of the car singing Ding Dong Merrily on High. All sorts of stayed mm. with me for a long time. It was quite exciting to be allowed into pubs yeah. you know, as a kid because I was carol singing. Uh, but then I grow up. And um, I get invited to Christmas carols round at Douglas Adams' house. Right. You know, in Duncan Terrace. And yes. It's all very Oxbridge. Do you know what I mean? And <laughs> I I'm, a, so, mean, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a comprehensive boy. And they were doing Once in Royal David City with their desk cans. I don't know the correct musical terms for it. You probably do. It's in the blood, isn't it, of the public school person? Yeah. Shall I sing bass? I'll, I'll do counter tenor uh, in Latin, <laughs> and then they did uh, Silent Night in German. They all knew it all, and they all knew. It. And I used mm. to sit, sit there going, oh, "Little donkey, little donkey." That <laughs> 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 always made me feel like such a oik, which I'm not particularly. But in that company, yeah. doing Silent Night in German was was more than I could ever manage. <laughs> I did sing Silent Night in German in a, a sort of Christmas review. We had to do the little bit from Oh, What a Lovely War, where they sing Silent Night in German across the trenches. Ah, oh, yes. And then the English troops sing, it was Christmas Day in a cookhouse, the happy day in a year. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, yeah, so I played the German on the other side. The problem is you start that off a cappella. So <laughs> night after night, I would start, Ziele Nacht, Heilige Nacht. And one night, for some reason, I went, Oh, you came in too high. The moment I started, I thought, oh, my God, I'm in deep shit. And by the time you get to... It was, it was no, no wonder war broke out again. <laughs> I got a lot more laughs yeah. than it was Christmas Day at the cookhouse, I can tell you that. Oh, okay. Oh, well, good, mm -hmm. good, good work for upstaging that actor. Thank you. <laughs> so the other thing I'd put in my time capsule is Christmas cards. What, what a weird thing Christmas cards are that we just send each other these very brief, like three lines to each other once a year. Well, they always say things like, 
hope to catch up with you next year and you both know it's not going to happen you're pretending to each other um but i used to always get one from tony blair and sheree oh. um as someone who'd been raised sort of active in the labor party and had sort of um you know, written a couple of Labour books. But I would send them on to extremely left-wing friends of mine. So it would be from Tony Shree and John O'Farrell, send it off to Mark Steele. And uh, <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be like, oh, what have I got a card from Blair for? Oh, it's John O'Farrell that's forwarded it. Or I'll give it to Jeremy Hardy or Mark Thomas or something. So, um, so that was what I'd always do. But my other thing that I got into one year was just making up couples and <laughs> sending cards to my friends from Natalie and Simon. Uh, and just just to imagine them sitting at home going who are Natalie there must be friends of yours I no for that couple we met on holiday is it no there must be someone from your work is that Simon is that Natalie and Simon maybe they're a gay couple I put this on Twitter this uh, joke and people said to me all the variations on it and one friend uh-huh. said I send people a card like that with made up names and also a little jar of salmon paste saying here's that paste we were talking about who you enjoy it <laughs> they just start to doubt their insanity or or say i hope we're still good for next march <laughs> and so people are going what, what could it be next march oh you'd have to pick out a lot of single men and, and just write all my love susan the answer is yes so thank you christmas cards they uh they give us a lot of unnecessary angst and make you feel guilty that you haven't sent them to other people what's it like for the queen i wonder she's saying oh i've got one from mrs johnson on station road uh uh, do we send her one i can't remember (laughs) we will bury christmas cards good good for you and get rid of them you don't have to worry thank you michael you're very welcome that's my christmas gift to you john thank you so much for doing this have a lovely christmas and you Cheers, mate. Bye. There you are. If you get a Christmas card from Reginald and Enid this Christmas, it's from me. Okay, our penultimate guest is the co-host of The Infinite Monkey Cage, which he hosts with Professor Brian Cox. So here, prepared as ever, is the wonderful Robin Ince. All right, Robin, I'm going to ask you to tell me something that you would put into a Christmas time capsule. So I'm rather hoping it's going to be an incredibly complicated, detailed explanation of Halley's Comet and the fact that it wasn't really signalling the birth of a child. No, I wish it was. I wish that was what I was going to tell you was going to be. My Christmas capsule would be very tough, actually, between these things. You probably told me ahead of time that this was the question, didn't you? But it was in the second line of the email, so I never looked. So uh, (laughs) we're we're flying by the seat of our pants here. Wing it. I, I have to admit, I mean, someone who I normally have, it's just fallen off the desk, unfortunately, and I can't manage to get to it. I always have Alistair Sim on my desk in Scrooge, mm-hmm. that point of revelation. And I think that Alistair Sim, the Alistair Simness of Alistair Sim is a very, very important thing, not merely for Christmas, but for all humanity. I always think he has, he has something quite similar. Tom Baker had that as well, this strange actorly quality where it's both utterly utterly attached to what they're saying a total commitment and yet there's also this otherness and otherness which means this person is not quite in the world so i would have that quite high up there yes you remind me of my favorite barry crier joke oh god which is my phone so old i've got an alistair sim <laughs> the one that i loved that he said was uh 
Um, it's not one of his. He said he, he first heard it via Walter Matower. And uh, when he couldn't make it down to the Slapstick Festival, I, I managed to tell it in the pulpit of Bristol Cathedral, which is the <laughs> one about the uh, um, the couple who meet. And, they, they, and they, they barely know each other, but they meet and they, they fall totally in love. And they uh, they just go off and they and they get married and then, and then they go back to her house and they have their honeymoon night, the most wonderful honeymoon night. And the next morning, the man wakes up and he just walks into the bathroom and there's a dead horse in the bathroom. <laughs> and he says, there's a dead horse in the bath. And she says, I never said I was tidy. <laughs> I, I like it because it almost, it, there's so many things going on there. But yeah, <laughs> I think it would actually be the Alistair Simness. Because even just that face, those eyes, and that mystery about him. I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen him in An Inspector Calls, the movie version of that. Mm, that smile that he gives when he's in the rocking <laughs> chair. Because it's interesting that Mark Gatiss is playing Scrooge, I think, at the moment as well. And I always think that, you know, one of Mark's voices is rather like that as well. Yes. Do you know, I think he's playing Marley, which is interesting, isn't it? Oh, is he? Yeah. In fact, a long, long time ago, he said to me, that's the part he's always wanted to play. And I said, not Scrooge. He said, no, no, Marley. Marley is the really interesting part. That's great. It's like, you know, are you going to play Sherlock Holmes when you were at? No, I'm going to play Mycroft. There's the interesting mm-hmm. part you see there. Yeah. But he has that. I mean, all of the league have that as well. Again, going back to that humanity, there is something they are able to create, both when they all work together and when they do their separate projects. There is a deep humanity. I would put Scrooge in there with Alistair Sim because I watch it every single year and I, and I, I would never miss watching it, even if it colorized. I can just turn down the, the colour, obviously. But it's, uh, um, I mean, it's it's almost it's caught between that and then the other thing would be, I think Laurel and Hardy would be something that I'll put in a Christmas capsule because that, of course, was very regularly shown. I mean, shown a lot more when we were kids, anyway. But also, it would be always on at Christmas. You might maybe mm. watch Way Out West, a beautiful dance routine in Way Out West, which is so delicate and so perfect. So I think, I think, yes, I would. I, I'm so sorry that it's not Haley's Comet. I'm so sorry it's not something cosmological <laughs> uh, or astronomical. It must drive you mad constantly being expected to know everything about. Oh everything no, they know I've got a. Science Butler, he does all the knowing for me. Brian Cox, That's true. Science Butler, could yeah. you come in? What would you like to know? I just like you to explain <laughs> the event horizon again. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's exactly what he is. Yes, that's right. I've seen his programs, and uh, there's something missing. That's all yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> it's my interruption to my Brian Blessed impersonation. You see that? That's the that was another lovely thing actually, which is we did a Christmas Infinite Monkey Cage, and uh, Brian Blessed did his version of "Twas the Night Before Christmas." Wow! Which you can imagine has a tremendous show. "Twas the Night Before Christmas." Nothing was stirring, not even a mouse. You know, it was all up and down and up and down. It's wonderful. Yes, absolutely. Have you ever seen Brian Blessed in pantomime? Oh, no. It's absolutely fantastic. What does he do? What, who, who is he? Well, he sort of generally plays something like the emperor. So the pantomime I saw, I think about ten times, he must have gone, Aladdin's alive! <laughs> <laughs> was marvellous. Well, I agree. I think what wonderful things to put into a time capsule. Alistair Sim, one of the greatest... Uh, actors, I think. I would. I was going to say comic actors, but one of the greatest actors because he's absolutely able to do that beautiful thing of creating human emotion and a real emotion that moves you to tears instantly. And Lauren Hardy, you're right, that dance in Way Out West with Oliver Hardy, he reminds me of the dancing hippos in the Disney film. 
so light on his feet. Ah, commence your dancing, commence your dance. Ah, you sent me off into a reverie. And it means that everyone under the tree this year at your family home should obviously have a bag containing hard-boiled eggs and nuts. <laughs> Why didn't you bring me any candy? Well, you haven't paid me for the last lot. I, I was almost disappointed when the Laurel and Hardy film came out that I thought was very, very good, actually, uh, with John C. Riley and Steve Coogan. Because mm. I, I sometimes in shows, out of nowhere, would just suddenly go hard-boiled eggs and nuts. And no one really knew what it meant, apart from maybe five people. Five or six people would know, ah, this is Laurel and Hardy reference. But of course, course now it's been in the movie far more people know so it means that i'm moving further and further away from being the avant-garde mike you see that's what i was uh, then I'm, i've gone mainstream <laughs> <laughs> laurel and hardy are suddenly mainstream you'll have to throw in goons references that'll lose them <laughs> case the muckanese battle horn do you remember that Look, sir, an impression of a shoe. I've got no time for your impressions now. So uh, that's the that's the one that always stuck in my mind. <laughs> yes. Let's jump in this wardrobe and disguise ourselves as suits. I'm going to be a morning suit, then I can have the afternoon off. <laughs> I must go down to the sea again, the beautiful sea in the sky. I left my vest and socks there. I wonder if they're dry. <laughs> um, which I was not allowed to have on quote-unquote for some reason. Well, you weren't going to say unpleasant things about it, were you? No, I wasn't. I'd chosen it very specially. In the end, I had one which Nigel Reese was rather thrown by because he'd never heard it before. And of course, as you know, with him. And it was uh, G.K. Chesterton saying, uh, lying in bed would be perfect if only one had a coloured pencil that was long enough to reach the ceiling. <laughs> which uh, I forget which essay that's from now. I know what I have to give you for Christmas then. <laughs> if you see something ridiculously long and thin under your Christmas tree, it's not a snake. <laughs> 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 oh, Robin, thank you very much for giving me your time. I know how busy you are. Thank you. Have a very happy Christmas. And you, my lovely man. Merry Christmas. Well, that's just about it, apart from my final guest, a person who, to me, personifies the enthusiasm and enjoyment that we should all have at Christmas. Of course, she has it every day of the year. And this is a recording we made from her dressing room at the Churchill Theatre in Bromley, between two performances of a pantomime. Here for your Christmas listening pleasure is the astonishing Bonnie Langford. How are you? All right. Have you just come straight off? I've, I've just come off. I've got my wig still on. You are such a star to do this. You really are. And I'm going to take no time from you at all. You don't really need to talk to me about Christmas because you're stuck right in the middle of it, aren't you? Where are you doing panto in Bromley? Uh, yeah, Churchill, Bromley. I did something today. So we just had a like a baby school matinee. It's like primary school personified. So we've come down quite quickly because most of it we can't. <laughs> and um, anyway, I did something which I don't know is a good idea, but I got one of the crew to voice memo the kids shouting. Oh. I thought that might be nice to put in my time capsule. <laughs> Very good. To have them all screaming. Yeah. So I've got a bit of me going, I'm sure you can be much, much louder than that. And they all go, like this. I then say, that's wonderful. Together we can make the magic happen. That well, per it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, how many pantos have you done now, Bon? I haven't done that many pantos, but I did start them when I was 14. I played Cinderella at the age of 14 at the Yvonne Arno in Guildford. And uh, yeah, I was so young, I couldn't have a wedding party. I had to have an engagement. <laughs> um, so it was a long time ago, but I'm not like Biggins. I don't do it every year. In fact, I haven't done a panto 
for, I think, about 10 years now. You're doing massive musicals and things in the West End. Soaps and things like that. When I first went into EastEnders, I saw one of the characters, you know, had had some terrible accident in their storyline. And I said, oh, no, what's going to happen? And they went, oh, panto coma. <laughs> in other words, <laughs> I just thought it was the most hysterical thing ever. It's like, <laughs> you know that a character over Christmas is going into some... Actually, not over Christmas. It would be February, when the February episodes come out. If yeah. someone's suddenly like, out of it, it means they were doing panto. Oh, yes. No, I've spotted those. But you are one of the hardest working people I know. You really are, Bon. I've never known anybody put such energy into everything. It's amazing. You know, I'm delighted to say that the technical rehearsal for the pantomime that I turned down is happening at the moment. And I'm sitting here gleefully thinking, I just might have another piece of cake. I know. Are you allowed to say which one you turned down? Well, I was going to do um, Rapunzel. I don't normally do Rapunzel. That's quite different. I mean, I'm doing Sleeping Beauty, and that's one I haven't done before. It's actually a bit tricky because, basically, she pricks her finger, falls asleep, and that's it, really. Fortunately, some of us stay awake so that we can do the second act. But um, getting them on is really very intensive. I mean, we're doing twice a day. Some people do three shows a day. So, you know, get Christmas Day off, as you know. So, quite frankly, just put Christmas down to experience. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of like we did last year. Isn't it great that we're trying to get back up and running and that we are? Yes. And you still get a thrill, do you, from winding the kids up and getting those screams and shouts? Yeah, I think it, I love the fact, actually, it, it, that's one of the things that, that surprised me when I was doing it this time because I, you know, as I say, I haven't done panto for quite some time and I went out there and the first time I sort of said, I'm going to need your help, will you help me? And they all went, yes! It was really quite emotional. It was mm. really quite moving. And, um, you know, it, it, it just, you, you forget. We've forgotten lately how wonderful it is. And also that we've, I think we've all been holding on for so long that we've been keeping everything in and going, oh, no, it's going to be, you know, we're going to be fine. It's it, no problem. Uh, we, we've just got to be positive and carry on. And then to get to a theatre and think, oh, my goodness, we're here, to have the courage to get match fit again and do it again, and then to hear the audience and give them permission to just shout their lungs off. And I think a lot of it actually is the adults just going, yes, you know, having that opportunity and being given permission to make a big old noise and get it out of your system. And that's what I think we've all needed. Mm, absolutely. Just have some fun for a change. Yeah. I can't wait to come and see it, actually. I have to say, I'm definitely going to come and see you. Screaming up behind you and, oh, no, you didn't. They said we couldn't do a ghost gag and we couldn't do a song sheet. I understand about song sheet. I don't really understand about the ghost gag. I think they said that, you know, people were shouting too much, but they're shouting anyway. I did slightly rehearse a pantomime last year and we rehearsed it by saying, OK, you're not allowed to shout in case the giant hears you. What did you get them to do then? Clap their hands? We never got to do the pantomime, sadly. Maybe that was good. I mean, you know, I think there's certain things you can adjust and then there are other things that you think, actually, we need to do this right or not at all. Yeah. The kids are loving it, so that's good. That's what it's about. For me, that's what Panto is about. Fantastic. So I will play you getting the kids going to give people an idea of what they're missing if they don't go to Panto this year. For me, when I'm on stage, it literally took me by surprise that first time because it goes through your body. To be in that room with people, to be in a live theatre and for it to then just that noise to hit you again is just something I think we've all missed. Well, you deserve it. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Bonnie. Merry Christmas. Have a lovely one. Uh, joy to everyone. And here's to a new year that's a little bit more fun. Here, here. And here is that recording of Bonnie whipping the kids up into a frenzy. 
What a fantastic sound. Oh, she really does make the magic happen. Merry Christmas, Bonnie, and Merry Christmas to all of you. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful festive season, and we'll see you very soon for some new episodes of My Time Capsule. All together now. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. It's bloody freezing, though. I wish I could get off... No, they're not the lyrics. Anyway, Merry Christmas. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.